And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word, Broomgate. All right, James, we are recording this on some day during the break. Let's not say when. Actually, people will know when because we're releasing it when it comes out. Welcome to the Leaf Report. What's up? That's the worst intro ever. <laughs> so the Leafs have Jake Muzzin. That's the big news. You were away. I had just gotten back from the All-Star game, um, and the Leafs beat the deadline and make a trade a month before and get Jake Muzzin, which is, it had been rumored a little bit that they were interested in him. There had been a couple reports. Um, the most surprising thing, I guess, is that it's another left-shot defenseman. Mm-hmm. Well, and I guess that's where we should start. We didn't, I guess, think, that this would be what they would do uh, because it it doesn't totally solve the right side issue uh, and yet it does so we'll talk about that the podcast is always brought to you by The Athletic um, go to theathletic.com slash leaf report for 40% off we're also brought to you by the Saki Hall of Fame um, so we'll start with Muzzin you've been sending me puns like non-stop with Muzzin in the name it's just brutal this is going to be a bad one this might be worse than Tavares and Tip Varis and like all that nonsense. Have you thought like do you have a list like at the ready in your computer saving a doc? He's nodding, yes. Yep. I'm ready. Okay. So I think where we should start is um what they gave up, because obviously that's a significant part of the equation. So they gave up Carl Grundstrom, they gave up a first round pick, and they gave up Sean Dersey. Um when I looked at that return, I was like, okay. Like that makes that makes total sense if I'm Kyle Dubis. I'm not giving up a top prospect. I'm giving up a first round pick, which has value, but like it's gonna be a late first round pick given where the Leafs are in the standings. And Sean Dersey's a guy they picked last year. Uh, so when you thought about the, the return or not the return, what they gave up, the cost, um, did it strike you as kind of about what you would be comfortable with if you were you know, the Leaf GM? So there's two things that make the return completely fine in my mind. One, Muzzin's not a rental player. He's got one more year left on his deal. Well, there's three things. Two, his cap hit is low yep. at $4 million. Three, he can play in your top pair. 
if you can do accomplish all of those things without giving up one of your best prospects, mm-hmm. I think you do that any day of the week. And the thing, one of the things I like the most about the trade is that it helps them next year when their D was looking problematic. When it looked like they're probably going to lose Jake Gardner. Obviously, Ron Hainsey's going to probably potentially retire. I mean, I can't see him coming back. They had some big holes on their blue line for next year. So Kyle Dubas found a way to address not only the need this year to to go for it and to improve the blue line and to not have Ron Hainsey on his top pair, he found a way to to get them out of a jam next year as well. And I think that that's really, really important. So Hmm. I've had some people push back uh, on my initial column after the trade and say that Sean Dursey's going to be a pretty good player. Mm -hmm. There's been some talk that the Kings wanted him over. I I heard that potentially the Kings wanted him over Timothy Lilgren, which is Mm -hmm. really, really interesting. His numbers in the OHL, Dursey, are, are, are fantastic. Um, but he's an overage defenseman, so we'll we'll see what Grenstrom and Jersey end up being. But yeah, I I feel pretty good about what they gave up, and I feel like they're getting a lot of value back for that. Well, when you make the point about next year, I think that's a good point because like now you look at their their top four for next year, and you're basically replacing Hainsey and Gardner with Dermott and Muzzin, and I think that's a trade you make. And then you can kind of fill in the pieces on the third pair. And they probably still want to like try and make another improvement to their sure. blue line if they can next year. But if they can't, they can survive with what they have now. Whereas before, that wasn't the case. Well, and and so like Grundstrom, I think we we both agree he'll be an NHL player. What his upside is, I don't know. He's, he's probably a fourth line guy. He might be a third line guy. Like he's kind of a bit like Leo Komarov, maybe not not as good a skater. But better hands, more not, of a score. Not that he was a good skater. <laughs> yeah, I, like I think he'll play. But when you're a team in this position, like you have to give up something and you have to try to push your your window, not your window, your upside a little bit higher, um, right? Like I, I think it's a trade they had to make because you can't, you couldn't go into the playoffs thinking you're a contender with Hainsey playing 20 minutes a night against top lines and on your top penalty kill unit and like it just it wasn't working and it didn't work last year in the playoffs and especially if they meet Boston again which I think is probably the most likely outcome of this season they had to try something different and Muzzin's a good player you know I know uh, Dom LeCision who from our site from The Athletic um, said he basically considers Muzzin to be as good as as Jake Gardner so that's that's a pretty good piece to add to your team Mm -hmm. well we'll get to kind of where he fits a little bit more but um, I can't remember what I was going to... Oh, I know what I was going to ask. Well, like, you bring up Ron Hainsey, uh, and it's funny, like, during that, that Kyle Dubas availability he had just before the break, one of the things I wanted to ask, and I wasn't quite sure it was, like, the appropriate forum, was, like, do you think that you can reasonably depend on Ron Hainsey to give you four rounds in the playoffs on a top pair? The answer is obviously no. I was curious how he would answer it, and I didn't think a scrum like that was totally the right way, and there wasn't an opportunity. Anyway, this kind of blows that up um, because now Muzzin will obviously go on their top pair um, what do you think happens with Hainsey do you think he just simply kind of slots into their third pair with Travis Dermott and now you've got a little bit more not a little bit more a more reliable third pair that you can use in defensive zone spots as opposed to the one they had before with those again up I think that people are going to be surprised how much better Ron Hainsey looks in a third pair role and sure. I think that Dermott's a very good partner for him in the way that the, that he plays and the way that he breaks up um, rushes into the zone. So 
I think the Leafs are probably have one of the one of the things that's happened with the salary cap and in, as we've gone along is that teams have really only been able to pay their top three D pairs. There aren't really a lot of good third pairs or their top two D pairs. Sorry, mm-hmm. their top four D is, is that's where most of the money goes. There aren't a lot of good third pairings around the league, and I think that honestly. Some people are probably think this is crazy, but I think Dermott and Hainsey's probably going to end up being one of the better third pairs in the league, and they're going to get some really good minutes out of those two. Well, and you look ahead to next year, like their third pair will conceivably be Rosen, Rosen and Lilligren or Rosen Ojeganov. and someone, Ojeganov. So it's like they've kind of set themselves up to play both games, and one of the things that Dubas kept insisting with regard to like making a trade is like he would rather bring in someone who had term. And like you mentioned, this gives you a guy for two playoff runs instead of one. Well, the way I put it, like I think what they gave up is pretty consistent with what you'd give up for a rental player, but he's not a rental player. So that's that's why I like the that's why I like what they gave up the package because they're getting so much more than that. Well, one thing I was trying to consider is like what would be the difference if let's say they 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 paid more and they got Petrangelo. What is the difference in you what you'd be getting? from Petrangelo versus what you're getting from Muzzin. I guess the one big thing is Muzzin isn't a right shot defenseman. We don't know if he's going to play the right side. There's some uncertainty, yeah. So, like, what... This is, like, a very baseball thing. I don't know how you calculate it in hockey, but in baseball, like, you could look at the difference between what you'd be getting from Petrangelo projected versus what you'd be getting from Muzzin projected. How much of a difference do you think there is? I... I tend to think that maybe the difference isn't as as big as you'd think, especially when you consider that they don't need this guy, Muzzin in this case, to play in the power play. They basically just need him to play against top lines and kill penalties. They just need him to do what Ron Hainsey was doing, but do it at a higher level. Yeah, and I think that he brings some elements that the Leafs don't have on their blue line. Like I was looking at it, and Muzzin would be leading the blue line in hits right now by quite a large margin on the Leafs. Um He's big and he can skate and he can move the puck and he can kill penalties and he's got a big shot and I just think he's got he's got a lot of nice little elements that I think that are going to help sure. the Leafs. Petrangelo is probably is a better offensive defenseman as it would be better on the power play, but the Leafs don't necessarily need right. that. You know they they obviously they would like to add a number one defenseman or like a real high end D, but getting a guy who's kind of like a two three. He's probably a low-end two is probably what Muzzin is. Sure. That's that's a huge help because you're replacing a guy who's really should be on a third pair. Mm-hmm. And instead of having both your top two pairs weighed down by Hainsey and Zaitsev, now you're only going to have one of your top two pairs that's got a guy that has a hard time moving the puck. So mm-hmm. I kind of think that Riley's going to end up on the right side on that pairing with Muzzin. Mm-hmm. But See, I disagree. I well, think, I mean, we got to see how Muzzin plays on the right side. Like, he really hasn't done it very much in the NHL. Well, I, I think we... I don't know. We'll see on Friday, or I guess Thursday. What day is today? Wednesday? Today's Thursday. They're practicing today in Detroit. They're practicing uh, in, like, four minutes. So we should we should do some live updating on the podcast with based on what happens out of practice. Okay, so I will project or predict that he'll keep Riley on the left side. One of the things he said early in... Well, they got actually, 33 games to move it around, right? Like they yeah, can, Well, well like if Muzzin struggles in the first 15 games, then... Yeah, well, and we've seen that Riley can do it. But one of the things that Babcock has said in the past is he prefers the more skilled guy to be on his natural side, and obviously that's Riley. And Riley's had, like, a Norris Trophy caliber campaign. Yeah. Like, why would you move him? I think you try Muzzin on the right side first, see what happens. If it doesn't work, maybe you flip it. 
you can flip it in game. Like did you, you can. Did you hear the conference call with Muzzin and what he said when he was asked that question? He basically said, um, uh, "We have a lot of good defensemen on this team, and I'm sure we can figure something out." He didn't say like, "Yeah, put me on the right side. I'm comfortable there," or anything like that. He's just like, "I'm sure somebody can do it." That was his answer, and I think that's his personality is going to be that he's going to he'll be willing to try anything and I, I I well we'll see here when practice starts who's on the right side but hmm. you know I just think that eventually they might have to put Riley there he's played there more than Muzzin has the last four or five years I, I looked into it and he really hasn't played on that right side that much well the one thing that this does now is it gives real options to Mike Babcock yes he well, can you could you could that's the other thing too is you could change these pairings around like well so the the issue with that is you could do that like uh, the other thing i was th- i was thinking like when the trade happened you called me is they could move zaitsev down like that's the other thing that they could do that the issue with that is a couple things obviously hainsy is hainsy um and then you're mo- you're changing all three pairs I don't know if that matters, but at least with Gardner's Zaitsev, like you have a pair that's played together, that's comfortable together. The other thing you could do is like you could go Gardner Hainsey, and you could do Dermot Zaitsev, and you could have Muzzin and Riley in whichever combination you want. I was thinking you could do Gardner Riley, and then you could do Zaitsev with Muzzin, and then maybe those two are playing some of the tougher minutes. I don't know. There's sure. like like you know, there's more possibilities, and the, the the thing we've seen with Mike Babcock, which is sometimes I think a, de- a detriment is he hasn't been willing to try anything. But maybe now that he's got another guy in in Muzzin who can do more things. Like you think of like you mentioned this in your story, I think, at the end of games. Like they were getting to a point where they literally had three defensemen that they wanted to play late in games when they were trailing. And you need more than three. You need to, you need two pairings. Yeah. Right. So Hainsey, that meant Hainsey was out there in when they were trailing in games by right. two goals with three minutes left in the game and it doesn't make any sense. And so now you can play Dermot, Gardner, Riley Muzzin, so it kind of fits that way. I don't know. There's there's lots of like little curiosities to see what they do. Like I'm curious to see what they do with their penalty kill. Obviously, um, Hainsey and Zaitsev have been their their first pair on penalty kills. Yes, I can see you. He's in a Leaf uniform at practice. James just showed me the video of of Muzzin practicing. He's taking the eyes right now wearing a Leafs jersey for the first time. We'll 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 update with like real updates and we can react to what what the lineup looks like. The other thing is that we got to see what the forward lineups look like, right? Because they went into that Washington game with some pretty interesting line combinations. We can talk about that a little bit later. But like, there's all just um, this like significantly improves their ability to defend top lines. I think it like it it doesn't totally matter as much the regular season. It's in the playoffs. Like now, when you're going up against, let's say, the Bergeron line. You can put well, out a pair against, like a, a pair that actually would have a reasonable shot of slowing even them down. Even in the regular season, though, Jonas, like they've been struggling, and like sure. they they need they can't afford to fall. Yeah, they can't. I mean, people are saying, oh, maybe it's better if they're in the wild card spot, but it's like if they end up in the wild card spot, it means they didn't have a very good year, and then there's going to be and who knows who you're going to play if you're in that wild card spot too, right? You could end up playing Tampa. Which is not, I don't think, ideal. You try to finish as high as you can. The the thing, like, we'll get to some, I should have mentioned this earlier, we'll get to some, like, prediction things, looking back on our predictions from the beginning of the year. Um, 
But they're like they're due to kind of go on a run where they win five of six or seven of nine or yeah. something. Like it feels that that's going to happen. Although I mean, counterpoint, their PDO is really high. Like there's still there's still some unsustainable parts of in their game even after all the losing, which to me is a bit concerning. Okay, we can get to that. Um, I mean, obviously the power play being this bad is unsustainably bad as well. So that's going to come back the other way. Yes. They, they they need Anderson to get back on his on his horse and be good. And he did the ice tub bath the other uh, over the break so maybe that'll get him going did you see that no no oh. he was in a big tub of ice some trainer had him in a and he went, his trainer and he went bright red okay <laughs> um is there anything else about muzzin that you're curious about i mentioned before you interrupted to show me a video of muzzin wearing a leaf jersey like I'm curious about like what where he fits on the penalty kill. Like, does he bump Riley from killing penalties, maybe to save him some wear and tear? Do they move Hainsy down? Well, like, they gotta stop using Hainsy and Zaitsev together. Well, so that's that's what I was thinking. Like, maybe now your first Muzzin, pair is Muzzin, Muzzin and Zaitsev. I was actually surprised Muzzin kills penalties as much as he does. He yeah. well, he wasn't Pally's top great, unit. Right? Yeah, he wasn't top unit, but he was like around two minutes a game. Mm-hmm. So. They they can't do Hainsey Zaitsev. They're too slow. Like they right, need, so they need but, one of their defensemen on the penalty kill to be a guy that can really move. And if they're not going to use Muzzin on the power play, he should really play a lot on penalty kill. It makes sense. So maybe you do the Dermot. Penalty kill has been bad this year too. Yeah. So maybe you do Dermot and Hainsey, and you do Zaitsev and Muzzin, and you mix Riley in if you need him, and you mix him in more in the playoffs. Um, anything else like about him that that's curious to you? Like. It's it's interesting. Like he kind of fits exactly what you want in that his he's good age, like he's not even thirty. I think he's twenty eight. Um, you mentioned the extra year on his contract. Um, the fit isn't perfect, but it would have cost them more, which is the balance that that Kyle Dubas was kind of dealing with, which we talked about last week. It kind of strikes a, a nice balance. It's not a perfect balance, but it's better than I think the alternative, which would have been like. Um, I think Elliot Friedman reported, at least, that Petrangelo, the Blues, wanted Nylander. So, like, that's a non-starter. Or, like, if you're getting Brett Pesci, which I didn't think was a good idea, based apparently, on the contract. It sounds like that was, like, a backup option, like, for their... I, they were but, like, just... that but apparently that like that would have cost them Kapanen or Janssen. So, like, those no, things, no, to no, me, no, don't no. make any sense. So, this, like, you don't touch the roster, you don't touch your top prospects, you get a guy at like you mentioned, a reasonable number for next year. He makes you better. Like, it kind of checks a lot of the boxes, uh, I think, that you want to check. Any more Muzzin? Like, Mo Muzzin, Mo Ideas? You don't get You know that. what I'm going to... You know what... How, let's, let's take a guess. How many minutes are the different pairings going to play? Like, do you think this means that Riley's minutes go up because now he's with, like... Like, one of the reasons Riley's minutes were down is because they didn't want to... They wanted to lower Hainsey's minutes this year. So it's not like Riley's only been playing, like, 21 a game. He hasn't been at... No, that's wrong. He hasn't been... Riley's gone up. Well, his, like, average over the season is, like, not some huge number. But it's gone up from where it was last year because they've kind of eased... But the Leafs don't have anybody that's playing 24 a night. Like, they don't have anyone that's averaging, like, a really big number. Whereas this puts the option in front of Mike Babcock where he could play Muzzin and Riley, like, really big minutes and then really dial back the third pair. Some teams around the league, they play their third pair, like, 12 minutes. I could also argue the opposite, that now it makes sense to play your third pair a little bit more. Or or play it about the same. Like, maybe you just dial down, maybe Hainsey's averaging 17 a game now. 
Muzzin and Riley are averaging 22, something like that. Same, maybe a little less for Gardner Zaitsev. That's like the way yeah. I think I would do it. Pulling Zaitsev back a little bit too could be one of the benefits sure. from, yeah. Well, and like one of the things, like, it's funny, like, I don't think we talked about this a lot at the time. I can't remember. Like, the playoffs were like a blur. But I was looking back at like how much Matthews and I think Riley, I don't think I looked at, but you wonder if that's an avenue that now this opens up a little bit more in the playoffs is just to do exactly what you're saying play that top more way more in the playoffs not necessarily now in the regular season but in the playoffs play those guys 25 a night yeah yeah that's what i was picturing i was just thinking like just the way mike babcock operates like he he likes leaning on what he feels works Mm -hmm. and and i could just see if they get in a big game that they need to win, let's say they're down to the last three games of the season and they need to win two of the three or, or whatever to, to get that second spot in the Atlantic and get home ice advantage, I could see him really leaning hard on, on mm-hmm. Riley Muzzin to play huge minutes or obviously in the playoffs as well, if if it works out as a pairing. Well, so that's actually something we should discuss before we move on. Um, what if like what if he can't play the right? What if like we, we saw this a, a long while back uh, when Gardner, they tried to use him on the right side, and like he hated it, wasn't comfortable. It was a long time ago. It was like very brief. Who did they play him with? I'd have to go back and because if notes. you talk, that was the lead in my piece. If you talk to Gardner, he's like, I, like he. He's I like, remember I, it was a thing because like they they did it for like a game or two, and like you talk to him after, and he's like, I'm not comfortable here. I think I'm pretty sure. Huh. I don't remember um, that. Yeah, I'll, I'll check my my notes. Maybe it was that first year though when Ron Wilson was playing the crap out of him. Yes. Do you want me to look now? No, it doesn't matter. But so like the point is like what what would happen like if it doesn't like if he can't play the right? <coughs> I guess then you you maybe juggle things around again. And well, you Riley to... or Dermot has to do it. Right. Probably Riley. One of Muzzin or Riley's probably gonna have to do it for this for this to work. Otherwise, it's kind of a mess. Well, what it, what you could do, and this would be like a complete reimagining of your pairs, is like you could have a top four of Riley, Muzzin, Dermot, Gardner, and then your third pair would be Hainsey and Zaitsev. Yeah, but then you just put Muzzin back on the right side. Yeah, well, well, maybe not. Like maybe maybe you play. I don't know. You've wanted this Riley Gardner thing to happen. Maybe you do Gardner Riley and you do Dermot or Muzzin Dermot. I don't know. Like, it just... I don't know. Maybe you try something else. Then you, have, it doesn't then work. you have all left shots on your top four. I mean, I, mean, I think those are their best four Those are their best four defensemen, right? Like, I don't know. Maybe at a certain point, like, you get over it. I don't know. It's hard. Like, playing on your offside is not... From you talk to players, it's not easy. Like, everything's just kind of backwards. It seems like it really depends on the player. Yeah. But yeah, it certainly... That's the wild card in this whole thing, is that they could put Muzzin out there on the right side for 10 games and it could be brutal and mm-hmm. and then you really got to rethink what you're doing well because like one of the things like we know Kyle Dubas you know kind of studies other sports and sees what you know they're doing in other like the NBA and baseball and like there's an NBA thing and Daryl Morey who you know from the Houston Rockets has kind of popularized this idea like you just oh, acquire talent you just he's the Sloan guy he's the Sloan guy so I his know, thing I didn't is, know he was a GM yes I'm just kidding. I know you are. So his thing is like you just acquire talent and like and granted like we're talking in that way superstar talent but like his thing is you just acquire talent and you and you figure it out. And maybe that's like part of the gamble here is like you just add someone who's better, a better defenseman than Ron Hainsey and try to find a way to fit him yeah. in. Yeah. I think Kyle Dubas believes that the handedness talk is overblown and he, yeah, I think that he he's just he's just looking at 
improve the talent level of the blue line, improve its ability to move the puck yeah. and figure out the rest of it. And if it means that, like Riley struggled playing the right side, but he was against top lines and he was with Matt Hunwick and the team was bad. Mm-hmm. Can Riley play the right side? If he's with a much better partner, the team is much better. And he, maybe he's potentially not playing top lines as much as he was that year that he did that. Potentially. I like also one don't think things, he was bad. I think it was like And also, a Riley's a better player than he was three years ago. Sure. The one thing Dello pointed out is that Riley's never had a good partner. This is going to be his best partner he's ever had for a sustained stretch, if it works. So, I, I think if you up, up, up the talent level in general of the blue line, it's a positive. It might not be as big a positive if Muzzin was a right shot, but it's probably... It, it's still enough that it makes sense to make the deal okay we should mention um that the podcast again is brought to you by the athletic uh check out theathletic.com slash report was there anything you read like this past week that like you can't stop thinking about i'm putting you on the spot um fitzy wrote about steve dangle today that was pretty good i haven't seen that yet it, it seems intriguing Fitzy, did you learn anything about Fitzy Dangle? didn't include this in the story, and and then he told me about it after, and I was like, oh, it should have been in the story. Apparently, Dangle's dad is a drummer in a heavy metal band. Wow, I'm I'm using it in here. Are you gonna Are you gonna go see? You're a big heavy metal fan. Maybe you should go check. No, it but out. it like made me realize that in my middle age, that's exactly what I'm gonna do with my life is be oh be, be in a heavy metal band. <laughs> oh my god! There was a YouTube of it. it was Maybe looking, you should put out like requests. Try to find a band. Start a band. I don't have any time to be in a band right now. Like my kids are too little, and I'm just like I, all I do is work and like change diapers and take my kids to play centers and stuff like that. So. You, I, I need my kids to get a bit older, and then I'm 100% going to be in a band. I mean, I was always in a band in, when I was in BC. Like every, Seriously? Always. Always. Wow. Multiple bands. What did you play? Guitar. Oh, so I played bass, actually, in some bands. Yeah, I was in, I was in, a, I was in a bar band um, for a long time, and we played, like, we played up at the Ski Hill in, in Kamloops, and um, it was a cover band, so we mostly did covers. So. What? what? Like, what band? What did you cover? All kinds of stuff. You covered something specific. What was it? It was like, it was the, this band, the, the band I was in that, that did the best. Um, we did covers and we did kind of like popular music. We did, um, we would do like Green Day. We would do, um, I'm trying to think. I asked because like, did you see Weezer put out an album of covers? I I know there's the Africa song. Now they did like a whole album of that. No, the I Africa don't. one is good. I'm not. I don't love covers, but if you're a cover band, like as a bar band, your ceiling's higher because like, like we had we were doing pretty good. Like we would get eight hundred eight hundred fifty bucks a show, and then like split it up with the band. And hmm. I was with I was like twenty at the time, and the other guys were older. And but it was a lot of fun. Like we did some we did some pretty fun big shows. What was the name of the band? It was actually called Midlife Crisis. <laughs> Some of the guys were older that had named the band. I think you should get this back going. You should start a new cover band because I will tell you. I would love to do it. I just I don't have time to do it. You see my house. Like I got a whole bunch of guitars and stuff. If, wow. if some people listening to the podcast want to jam one day, maybe I could do it. Yeah. Well, I was part. I was in the Globes band when I was at the Globe and Mail. There's a Globe and Mail band? Yeah. You didn't know I was in that band? No. We competed in Newsapalooza three years. What we the did, hell is Newsapalooza? It's a, it's a battle of the bands with newspapers. 
Oh and like God. media companies. That is we, the dorkiest so thing. So the ever last heard year of. I was in it, we did a heavy metal cover of Cotton Eye Joe and I sang it. Oh my God. <laughs> is there video footage of this? We gotta find this. It was at it's at the it was at the opera house. There were like eight hundred I there probably is a video. Oh my god. We also we covered the Backstreet Boys one time and I was one of the Backstreet Boys. That's that's acceptable. Yeah. There's some yeah, the heavy metal version of Cotton Eye Joe was Oh my god. It was like me screaming Cotton Eye Joe. It's like when Marilyn Manson did Sweet Dreams, like that kind of I love that song. That's my kind of music. <laughs> There's like, so, so I will tell you, like there is uh, a hip hop cover band uh, called Wing Night. They perform in Toronto and they do like hip hop from like 90s and early 2000s. They friggin ram it full and yeah. it's amazing. So yeah. I think you should start this up and like do Backstreet Boys, do Hanson. Uh, no, if it was like a band, if it was my band, it would be like, oh, you mean like do like heavy metal versions of those yeah. songs? Yeah. Heavy metal, Umbach. That'd be all right. That'd be all right. I can all right. Do. Well, one thing like I will mention that I read that Before was... I became a hockey writer, I wanted to be a musician. That's what I wanted to do. I just, I'm like not that good. I'm like a... Middle, I could see you I'm being like mi- that quiet guy who plays the bass no, in the I band. No, I wanted to like... No. Oh, you want to be the lead singer? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> you want to, like who are your, your idols that way? Trent Reznor, uh, yeah. uh, Chris Cornell, Cobain, Ma- Maynard. Were you gonna have like long hair and go for the whole grunge yeah. look? Yeah. Wow, <laughs> this is this is the best podcast we've done in a while. Hair for a long time. Seriously, not I had it like to here for a long time. You're, he's signaling like just below like his to my ears. chin. Yeah, wow. It was it was not a good look. Then my high, high school, I did, I didn't cut it till I went to university. I don't think. My mind is blown. <laughs> well, so one thing I read this week that's, that was really intriguing for me as a Raptors fan is Blake Murphy wrote about Anthony Davis potentially coming to the Raptors and what a trade would look like. Oh, here we go. Muzzin starts on the left side of a pairing with Morgan Riley. There you go. That's so I was wrong. You had it. You nailed it. I just don't think that Muzzin's comfortable there. Like, And he's on a new team and a new system. And Just talking to people that know Muzzin, they said he really hasn't played Oh, Justin Hall scheduled to skate as a forward in this workout. They have 9D on the ice. Well, they're going to have to get rid of somebody. Do I guess th- technically they don't. You can't carry 9D. You can do do, so, you okay, want. do you think do you think they waive someone? Do you think they demote Ojeganov or do you think they make a trade? Well, if I'm thinking of if I was in their position, I would want Ojeganov to play. I don't think it makes sense to carry around Ojeganov to just sit. So I would and then why lose just, an asset for if you don't have to? I just wonder if Ojeganov has like one of those European assignment clauses where he can't go down to the Maybe. Marlies. And, and and he would have to take a big pay cut, right? Like Because he's on an entry-level deal, he would make a lot. Like I'm sure a guy coming from the KHL, he was probably making at least a million bucks, maybe more. He probably took a pay cut to play for the Leafs. Well, he's also a free agent at the end of the year. And like you look at how tight their cap situation is, and like in order to bring him back, they're only going to be able to give him the league minimum. So I I don't know that he's going to be back. Well, I guess your question to him would, or what you would say to him if I was the GM is like, do you want to play or do you want to sit? Like we can play you with the Marlies, and you can play lots, and if we have an injury, we'll bring you right back, or you can just be Martin Marinch and well, like ninety like percent pay cut. So. so probably not. Okay, I'll just sit. I'll I'll sit. They probably got a wave. Marinchin or Hall, and well, Hall to me, hasn't played. To me, you you do Hall. Like I know he's got another year left. If if a team wants to bite and pay him, keep him. I don't think anyone would claim him. I don't either. And and, it, and like to be honest, like we haven't discussed this much. I don't think they're doing. I don't think it's fair what they're doing to him. I get it, but it's to me, it's like the same thing with Frankie Garado. Like you, clearly, Mike Babcock doesn't have use for him, and now more so, it, you're like hurting this guy's career. 
So I don't really understand what the point of the Justin Hall thing was this year. Like, I think he's it was just waivers sh- in past years. Like just yeah. Like like I can I like I can see twenty five games, but we're fifty games into the season and the guy's not playing. Like that's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Yep, I don't think it's right. Um, I mentioned before we got sidetracked again. Uh, Blake Murphy wrote, wrote about. Uh, Anthony Davis to the Raptors so if you're a basketball fan or just like a Toronto sports fan it's really intriguing that the Raptors actually could make like a a realistic package to get Anthony Davis so go check that out at the Athletic it was really interesting I would do that trade tomorrow I would do it right now uh, if New Orleans would accept it but this is the Leaf podcast so let's keep talking yeah I don't know why we're talking about that so the D pairs are (laughs) Muzzin Riley Gardner Zaitsev Dermot Hainsey Marincin Ozaganov which is about what you expected. It's a good fourth pair. Yeah. Um, okay, so the other thing we should get to, and then we're going to get to some prediction stuff. Um, do you think this is it? Like, you, when you wrote your column after the trade happened, you kind of intimated that given the cap implications that this might be their move? I think this is the big move. There's not going to be something bigger than this. But I think that there could be some small moves. What's that? They what are, does that mean? They are... I think that they could add, like, a depth forward or, like, a depth defenseman, potentially. Probably a forward. Probably, like, I, I, a lot of fans... The only way they can add a D is if they can move Hainsey or Zaitsev the other way. Mm-hmm. Which well, and if you can move Zaitsev, you do it right away. That's no-brainer. Basically, their salary situation is, like, if you look at Cap Friendly, it's misleading. Because I talked to Cap Friendly, and, and he was like, oh, they have, like, 17 million space at the deadline. And I was like, how much space do they have if they have to leave 3.7 million aside for the bonuses? And he's like, they have $300,000. Like, they have, and by the deadline, it'll be, like, 1.4 million or something. Sure. Like, they have almost no space. And you can create a little bit of space by sending one, like, if they send Hall down, that opens up, like, another whatever's left of the season divided by his contract that opens up like another chunk of space but mm-hmm. they don't really have space so if they're going to make a trade someone's got to go out well it seems like mike babcock is implicitly is that the right word he's the word is getting out and i would think he is the source of it that he wants another quote-unquote heavy forward right i don't know like I get this idea, but I, the other part of it is, like, you add one it's, heavy forward. It's interesting you say that because I wonder if that is what's... Like, I don't get the sense that Dubas or other people in the front office are talking. So some of the stuff that gets out, it might be coming out of the coaching staff. Well, but, like, I'm just putting together the dots. Who do you think would want a heavy forward in that organization? It's, like, the guy who I think prefers that if he can... To some degree, because I don't really think Dubas gives a shit about that. I don't either, and I also don't think one you add one heavy heavy forward, you're doing anything like what changes. So you get one heavy forward on the ice in a playoff really series. I don't think it matters. Heavy or not, it's just like if someone's good, like. And the other thing too is like, can they add a guy like that for like, like if you can get like Patrick Maroon for like a fifth round pick or whatever, and he's sure. just like a depth guy for you, like why not? He's only making one point seven. He hasn't had a very good year. But he's a guy that you could put on the fourth line, and it's like, yeah, he's heavy, but I think he's actually like got some talent. Well, so what would be more interesting is if you could move out a guy with some term to get a, an upgrade. Like, So Connor Brown is another year left. If you can upgrade Connor Brown with someone who's a little... What, do you do, include a pick or something? I don't know. Or, or do you just move him, and he's got term, and you move him for a rental? And that's, that's what I'm saying, yeah. And maybe like you, you get someone who maybe gives you a little bit more. 
Maybe he's a little bigger. Maybe he's a little like nastier. So I don't know. Maybe he can that, score a little more. You could I don't trade know. that for Furland and throw in a pick or something. Sure, like that. To me, that that makes some sense. Carolina um, probably wants more than that, but like if they can't find a better trade than that, then well, and like they get an asset who's who has another year, who's right. who's a good player. Like maybe it's yeah. I don't know. Like, there's the Leafs, just... like the Leafs don't want to trade their second round pick because they already traded their first. They have two fourth round picks. Like if they can move one of those fourth round picks for sure, but Furland's worth more than that. Well, that's like one of the things that that Dubis has done well here with this Muzzin trade is like this is this is why you hired you promote Dubis and you let Lou Lamarell walk. Like this is a creative way to improve your team without like pillaging a ton. Like granted, they give up assets, but it's not like they had to give up. You don't think they should trade a second round pick for a fourth line center again? Exactly. Who's going to be retired the next year? Brian Boyle might be available. Do you know what's, do you know what's nuts? Like I look, I was looking back at this. I don't know why. Uh, but two of the centers that they use in the playoffs now are out of the league. So, like, you think back to that series. Dominic Moore's gone. Thomas Pagan's gone. And, like, they almost won that playoff series. Which is nuts, like, when you think of that. That series was crazy. Um, oh, uh, Richard Deitch, you know, our, like, sports media guy at The Athletic? Mm-hmm. He's having us do a series where pick the best game you've ever covered. Yeah. What game do you think I picked? Game seven? Yeah. Which game seven, though? The one from 2013, the crazy one. That one was way crazier than this game seven. What's, like, your craziest memory from that? I can tell you mine. Do you want me to tell you mine? I was just, like... I just remember when they when the Bruins scored... I remember the, the third period started, the Leafs were up 2-1. It's like, oh, I wonder if they can hang on. The Leafs get two quick goals. Mm-hmm. It was, like, Kessel and Kadri or something like that. And, um... It's like, it's 4-1. There's like 11 minutes left. I'm like, eh, I don't know. And then the Bruins score, and it's like, I got to start writing my other story. I got like, I just fiercely started writing my, like, Leafs lose story. Because wow. we had watched that team all year, and it's like, I just, I never believed in that team. I just never did. And I took so much heat for saying that they weren't very good. And it just, like, all came apart in, like, one, it was like, a, that game was a microcosm of what was wrong with that team. Sure. That's my, and then my memory is, like, the crowd the crowd, that's the, probably the loudest crowd I've ever heard. And I've covered Stanley Cup Finals, and I've covered World Junior Finals yeah. when Canada's won, and I've covered, like, I've been to the Olympics, and, like, that was really, really, really crazy, that crowd. Boston has a they, amazing the, crowd. That's probably the loudest building, right? Like, like the Well, but it's it's not even, like, just uh, hockey. Like, I, when the Leafs were in Boston at some point, I went to a Celtics game, and the Celtics got behind, like, 20. And the crowd kept going. Like, every play that was good, cheer. And Boston came back. Like, it was like you could feel the energy yeah, building every... They did that in that Game 7. Like, that's yeah. what probably didn't translate as well on TV. But in the building, it was like... It felt like... I don't know. Do you know what was weird for me is like... What when do they it... call them? Mass holes? <laughs> You're a mass hole. Um, I like the people in Boston. I don't, I don't want to... I, I love Boston. I hope they don't take that out. I'm not calling them assholes. I just... I think that's a term of endearment, isn't it? It is. I think it is. That whole building, it was like we were surrounded by mass holes. Well, so at 4-1... What usually happens, like for That's most, for a lot of writers, as you know, baseballs? no, keep firing mass holes. <laughs> All right. So as you know, most writers, when a game is kind of in hand, like you leave to go downstairs because you don't want to miss the quotes. So when it was four one, I started to go downstairs, I and I remember not. waiting at the elevator with Dave Nonis, and you could see like he was really nervous. And then you got down to the press room he, at, so at he TD wasn't Garden. feeling con- confident that it was going to happen. I don't. I don't. He wasn't talking, but like you could just see, like the game's four one. He's like probably 
optimistic but nervous. And so you get down to the, the, the media room at TD Garden and there are all the media there. Like I remember Dreger was there and like Masters was there. And like then it's 4-2. And like you could hear the crowd um, from like in the underbelly of the arena. And then it's 4-3. And, like, you're starting to look at flights to New York. Everyone's turning the podcast off. I did not intend for us to go down this. We were looking. Fans hate hearing about this game. So do you want to stop? No, go ahead. But anyway, um, we were starting to look at flights to New York. Whatever we then... say after this, we can say whatever we want. No one's going <laughs> to no listen. Anyway, people. I wonder what they're going to think of me picking this as my, my, the best game I've ever covered. <laughs> Leaf fans should be. I, like, I, 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 get... finally, I finally put to rest the idea that I'm a Leafs fan. <laughs> well, I get the idea that Leaf fans would be sour at that memory. But, like, all that happened the reason the team is what it is now is because all that happened. Yeah. So, like, it, if you're a Leaf fan, it's worth that pain because you've got good stuff coming. So, anyway, let's move on. Predictions. So, at the beginning of the year, we both made some predictions. I don't I even want to know what mine are. Okay, well, I so I, I... predicted Justin Hall was going to play 30 games, and that, that one looks terrible. Okay, so I did a call... Like, column i did like a series of 10 predictions and i kind of revisited that today for the athletics so check that out but i want to go over some of your predictions for the season so let's look at them so point total your prediction was 109 points and that they'd finish second in the atlantic you should be like pretty happy with that prediction that looks like about what it's gonna be that's a fucking tap in though don't you think yes are they on pace for only like 104 or something right now yes they're on pace for like basically the same season as last year but I think 109, I mean, that's pretty reasonable. But that's an easy prediction. Like, okay. saying they're going to be a little bit better than last year, that's like... Okay. So, most goals you projected 44 for Austin Matthews. I still think it's possible he gets to 40. <laughs> well, I think 30. Hurt. He was hurt. That doesn't That doesn't include injuries. you got to uh, adjust no shit. for injuries. But, but, like, it's not impossible that he gets to 40. Yeah. I mean, he needs 19 over 33. I mean, he's been better than 44 goals, right? 49 pace. That's what he yeah. Uh, most points. This was a you. I don't know what you were thinking with this one. Eighty nine for John Tavares. How do you not pick Mitch Marner? What were you thinking? Well, I think or Matthews. I mean, Marner only had sixty nine last year. I didn't think he was going to have that many. I. In I my, I think in my gonna... prediction thing, I I think I I could go back and look, but I'm pretty sure I had Marner. I mean, I thought they'd all be close, but that I I picked. I thought Tavares would have. Okay. A, I thought Tavares would have a career year, which I think was not a bad prediction. It look, looks like you're to be right. Number one goalie starts. You had 62 for Frederick Anderson, which Probably looks pretty, like it's going to be pretty, pretty close. close. Yeah. Uh, breakout player. You had Andreas Janssen. Positive. Not bad. I mean, I know people are going to say Kapanen, but you know, well, your biggest disappointment, Kasperi Kapanen. Yeah, well, that was a bad prediction. Who is their biggest disappointment? Hmm. Do they have like a big disappointment? Nylander. I guess so. That's like extenuating circumstances. Is there anybody yeah, else? But unless he has a really big last thirty-three games, it's going to be him. Connor Brown. I mean, Zaitsev with five, Zait- five points like, is pretty bad. He doesn't have five points anymore. Was he have six? <laughs> I think he's I think, got. I think he only has. I he think, might have six now. Oh, okay. He had a two point. So when I wrote I about think that him, brought him to five though, didn't it? Well, when I wrote about him, he had three, right? And then he had a two point game, and then he had another Here, I'm looking, goal. I'm looking this. Up. He had a goal. He scored his first goal in the Washington game. Uh, I was on so a plane. I was on a plane when that Washington game was going on. So that should be six points. You should have done an over under for points for him. First call up, Trevor Moore. I'm not sure if he was the first call up. Go. I guess no, he was. Made the team. Yeah, he was the. Who else would it have been? I mean, a goalie, I goalie. guess. Yeah, that but, doesn't but count. But the goalie didn't play, though. 
Hutchinson, uh, I guess, played. Yeah. Okay, most likely to be traded. You nailed this one, Josh Levo. Most likely to be waived, Goat. That was a misfire. You should have thought more about that one. I didn't realize that Goat had this in him. He's had a good well, year. Well, it's, it's not even that. They can't, they can't waive him. They don't have anybody else who can play center. You weren't saying this in September. Yes, I was. I'm pretty sure I was. I think I was. You said nothing. <laughs> Playoff run. This is to be determined, but you have an ending in the second round against Tampa, which is possible, obviously. Ooh, here's some more good ones. Over-under. Oh, you didn't even do these. So you had some over-unders, but you didn't actually say over-under. Well, when you set the over-under, you're saying that that's like where you think it's going to be. Okay, so you had Neander's cap at $6.5 million. Close. Anyway, we don't need to go through all these. You had, you had Justin Hall at 30 games played. That was wrong. Martin Marincin, 10 games played. That was wrong. That's probably pretty close. Yeah, I guess that'll be close. Why is it wrong? Doesn't he have like six or something right now? No, he's more than that. He's he's right around 10. Well, he actually probably... might be right at 10. Well, then how am I wrong? I don't know. Was Tavares, 40 was, goals. You should say brilliant prediction. Yeah, he's played 10 games. I got it. I hit it bang on. What was the, 10 go- what was the goal one? Tavares, 40 goals, which looks like it's going to be about probably, right. He looks like he probably had more than that, right? Patrick Marlowe, 25 goals. That's going to be wrong. Yeah, he's got 11 right now. And like, so in my predictions thing, I guessed that 10 Leafs would get to 15 goals. He's got 11. So I'm not maybe sure. Marlowe's the most disappointing. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Yeah, age is caught up. Like, I'm not sure he's going to get to 15. Do you think he scores four more goals the rest of the year? He could, obviously. Probably. But like, he's on pace not... for like 38 points or something, right? It's his first year where he won't get 40 points. But it's like you look at the last 20 games. It's dropped off. So, anyway, anything else you want to talk about? I wrote Nealander just because he was coming off that big game before the break. Um, but we've talked, like, so much about Nealander. Um, I don't know. We, maybe we should save this for next week. I'm working on a thing about the cap implications of getting Muzzin and what that looks like. But that's probably, like, almost half a podcast on itself. So. Mm-hmm. There's, there's been um, maybe we just do like a really short talk about it, but there's been talk recently that Matthews and Marner are going to sign shorter contracts. So I wonder what you think about about that. We have to do a whole podcast on that. Do you want just like no brief thoughts? Well, I was just thinking like, yeah, like what's your initial reaction to that? I, I, I think that my brief thought is that it's going to help the Leafs cap situation next year, and they might have more space than people think. Well, it's not just next year; it's like future years. Yeah. Yeah, so like let's say they both sign around 5 years, they're going to have space. Again, I was looking at their cap situation for 19, no, for 2021, the year after next year. It's good. Like they have space. The question is, is it worthwhile? Let's say you save 2 million on each per year. Is that's 4 million. That's a player. Like that's a good player. Yeah. Is it worth it though? In the long term, when it costs you a lot more, I guess it's not a lot more. It's two million. It's exactly what I'm saying. Um, but is that worth it later? Well, because they're both probably going to get four million a year each, right? Over what they yes. So it's like it basically keeps your window really, really open for five years, and then maybe puts you in a position where you lose you're Chicago or you lose one of those guys in five years, yeah. Or your team stop. Like you're, you can't fill it around. I don't know. At least you're making the educated decision in five years that you know exactly what they are and you can see what the landscape yeah. is. And well, and like you could, you can resign them 
it's just going to cost you more. Or you more. can trade them for a young player who's not going to cost what they're yeah. going to cost. Or Yeah. Well, and that's like, to me, that's where the, the sport needs to go. Like, when you get into Anaheim's position and, like, you have Perry and Getzlaff and you have to sign you, them, yeah. you either sign them or you let them walk or you sign them and trade them. Like, you, you, you can't box yourself into 30-year-old guys for crazy money for a long time. I wonder if what happens with, like, older stars like that is if you just go shorter-term deals. Yeah. Well, we're already seeing that. And we're seeing that in baseball, too. Like you can give eight-year deals to 29-year-old guys. Like, the Kes- look at Kessler. Kessler, I think we talked about him Kessler, last. Ladd, Lucic. So like, just go down the list. Or Poso. Poso, yeah. That's brutal. Teams aren't going to do that anymore. Smart teams aren't going to do it. No. And the Leafs won't do it. No. That's it. That's all I got for you today. Okay, so the podcast again brought to you by The Athletic. Go to the Athletic. Saturday. We're all going to be there. Do you just like, like interrupting or something? Yeah. Just... <laughs> yeah. Continue then. Go ahead. No, I'm done. Pittsburgh's here Saturday. Wrap it up. I'm going to interrupt you again. The Athletic, the, the athletic.com slash leave report and the Saki Hall of Fame. Uh, so go to my franchise and you can check those out and get Bab socks. You keep seeing Bab socks in like crazy places. I, th- I think Nick Nurse was wearing them uh, apparently for one of the Raptors games. It would be funny if Babcock, they made Nurse socks and Babcock wore the Nurse socks. That would be fun. Now you're not interrupted. No, you got to call them knickers. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> All right, guys. We just Tom, Jake, we gave you a great idea for your next socks. Knickers. I'm not interrupting anymore. <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.